Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to always enable our audience, which are high caliber fee-for-service professionals, to be working on their business and on themselves personally and professionally. And on today's podcast, I had a great conversation with a legend in the financial services space, I've known Thane for a long time. He is a senior portfolio manager and senior wealth advisor at Stenner Wealth Partners. In this episode, we discussed what it means to become the advisor of the future and to collaborate more deeply with high value clients and how to engineer professional contrast and professional scarcity. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to hear on this podcast in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. I am very excited to uh, have this conversation with a long-term friend, a legend, frankly, in the financial services space, quite possibly one of the most innovative in terms of his approach, not just to asset management, but also in terms of marketing, branding, and and amplifying reputational equity. I'm referring to Thane Stenner, who uh, refers to himself as a senior portfolio manager. But Thane, you're not that senior. Agreed. Agreed. Well, hey, it's a it's a regulatory requirement, my friend. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So you uh, you play ball with that. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, but no, you've you've definitely got uh, many decades in front of you. But I've known you for a long time. I have immense respect, as is, uh, do many people, actually on both sides of the border. Not too many financial professionals can say that. Mm-hmm. But what I want to talk about today, Thane, in light of Everything that's going on, everything we've come out of and what's in front of us, I want to talk about what it means to be the advisor of the future. And, you know, for my professional life, I've been studying traits and patterns of the most effective in any field of endeavor. And one thing I've noticed, and you definitely fit into this category, is that Those who have the highest level of ability also tend to have the highest level of humility, which means they don't take themselves too seriously. They don't think of themselves as being superior to anybody else. And the clay is soft. They keep working on themselves personally and professionally. And I'm just wondering, just to sort of kick things off, Thane, when did you when did that occur to you? Has it always been the way you've been wired, or when did it occur to you that you have to keep working on yourself? Well, that's a great question, uh, Duncan, and I want to thank you in advance for having me as your guest uh, here today. I've been really looking forward to this uh, conversation with you. Yeah, as far as uh, you know, there, I think there was a book that I read way back when, early on in my career, that my uh, one of my mentors suggested to me. And it focused on the principle of can I, constant, never-ending improvement. So I, I think I learned early that uh, you have to constantly be pushing forward and learning and tweaking and innovating along the way to stand out and to serve uh, serve your clients as best as you can and uh, within your abilities. So... Um, that's that's always stuck with me. It's just constant. It doesn't have to be necessarily big improvements each day, but little improvements. Trying to try to get optimized in everything that you're doing, kind of as a as a wealth professional in our industry. Um, I would also say that this is a very humbling business in that when you're managing other people's money. You know, it's not like real estate. It's not like you're, you know, you're a doctor or a chiropractor where, you know, you have various infrequent checkups for the most part. And uh, in our industry, you're mark to market. 
right? You know, clients get a monthly statement and they can look at things online. They can see the value of their holdings. So the reality is it's a tough business to be in, but it's a very rewarding business to be in for those that, you know, take a long-term approach, uh, are highly relational and try to hone their craft every day. Okay, well, that's a great start. I just want to pause for a second. And for anybody who happens to be watching this, uh, you might see Thane's backdrop. Uh, it's a black and white image of the terrific city of Vancouver, British Columbia. And Thane, last time you and I uh, grabbed a little snack, we were right to the left of the tower there. You, you've got such a great location uh, sorry, and remind me, that's Cole Harbor, right? Actually, right close to me is uh, Yale Town. Cole Harbor is on the other side. Right. Uh, yeah, looking towards the mountains. Uh, uh, so, yeah. And, and sorry, you live right at the, basically the epicenter of the city where the Olympics, uh, the, the Olympic torches and the Vancouver Convention Center and uh, our office is about eight blocks away from there actually really close to one of my ears. I can't I can't quite tell with this virtual screen whether or not it's my left ear or my right ear, but it's it's close to one of them. <laughs> okay, terrific. Well, again, uh, I get to visit quite often, and it never it ceases to amaze me uh, how terrific that city is. And uh, anyway, more on that a little bit later, but let's come back to what you were saying. And I do want to hit on some some books and, and areas that provoke you know, discernment and, but what's interesting about what you were saying, and it occurred to me that highly effective people have immense bordering on a unwavering confidence, but not arrogance and respect for the client, respect for the team is so incredibly key. Now, what also popped into my mind Alvin Toffler wrote a book way back when in the 70s called Future Shock, and he talked about this concept of what he called the new illiterate, which had nothing to do with the ability to read or write, but had everything to do with the ability to unlearn elements that have become obsolete. And, mm. and that's a big concept of growth because when you and I first met financial services was about the hunter right client acquisition growth remember the phrase right gathering assets it, it always struck me as being very salesy mm -hmm. and brokery but it was obviously necessary in the spirit of growth and we got to a point where that changed and I think it changed it started changing probably Thane around 2000, 2001, and then really started to change around 08, where the shift from transactional to advisory really found another gear. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm, excellent. Uh, I think, interestingly, the points, the, the periods that you point to were also around two bear markets. So from, you know, the dot-com peak, you know, the speculative peak and meltdown, bear market from 2000 to 2000, early 2003. And from 2008 to 2009, 10, we went through two of the nastier bear markets in history, down 50% in one case and 57% in the other case. So I think what that, I think bear markets reset our industry and reset relationships and how people want to engage with their advisors uh, and how advisors want to engage with their clients. I certainly have saw that in my own career, literally in the last 20, 22 years, you know, I built up a practice, you know, up to about 660 clients uh, during that early part of the 2000s. And then over the course of the, you know, 2004 to 2010 period, I shifted and purposefully transitioned over a five-year time frame down to nine clients from 666. So I, I kind of did the opposite. 
and then have slowly built up to about 45, 46 clients today. And I get, basically did that because, you know, I got to a realization, in my, at least in my career at that point in time, that I wanted to be deeply relational, not just transactional and not... I wanted to be able to really relate to the people we were we were engaging with. So took some took some risks to do that. Not a lot of advisors would say, wow, you know, why why not just continue on that same path? And the reality is I just realized, you know, seeing clients once or twice a year with a big practice like that, it just wasn't gonna fulfill my relational uh aspirations. So today I, I feel like, you know, we we know each one of our clients exceptionally well. We're in regular contact with them proactively. And we just know their families and know what their uh, hopes and dreams are. And and that's uh, it's a funner, more fulfilling place to be in, to be honest. So, Well, that, that's a perfect uh, segue because as the industry shift, and you're right, bear markets are very revealing and opportunistic around reimagining relationship management because you're right back in the brokery sort of gather assets growth mode i mean there's a sting in that tail right that can snap because you get to this point of diminishing returns it's all like little's law right you get to capacity and it's like all of a sudden there's leakage and there's collateral damage and then there's a sense of dread for the advisor that kicks in because there's just, it's so ominous. It's so big. And so you're right. There are opportunities to reimagine that. Yeah. And I, I would, I would add a phrase to that too. And that's churn. You know, when, when you go through a bear market, everybody can be a good advisor during a bull market phase, but when you go through a bear market phase and if you've got too many clients, realistically, you cannot service them properly. And, and the aspect of people looking for other advisors and retention rates going down and what whatnot, um, you know, unfortunately is part of our industry. But for those that are kind of building, you know, the deepest relationships possible, you retain and you solidify and you kind of grow the foundation further. Well, okay, so let's build on that. So you talk about Kanai and you know, it's interesting for those listening in, Thane does a very thought-provoking podcast on BNN Bloomberg. And we talked about this concept of Kaizen, right? Kaizen, change is good. And, but you, like, you, you were, I, I remember you were very innovative early on in the difference between client service and client experience. You talk about proactive, like, not just reacting to a need or an issue, but just creating a scheduled client experience that clients really start to crave. And we're going to come back to professional scarcity and professional contrast a little later on in the chat, but back to the sort of the evolution of the industry brought on by those volatile periods, the shift from hunter to farmer, the concept of tending mm. what one has and mm. It's interesting. A big part of the farming analogy is that seven-year cycle, which is interesting around the markets as well. But, you know, in the old days, farmers used to go hard for six years and give the land a rest in the seventh year and plan accordingly, but let the land rejuvenate itself. There's an interesting tie-in there to the advisor. You know, you can't pour from an empty cup if you're going to, nice segue, by the way, in the sip of water. Um, <laughs> right on cue. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to take impeccable care of your clients, you have to take impeccable care of yourself, right? That's the whole concept of self-interest. But then, what's interesting, and you were out in front of this as well, hunter, farmer, and then to pruner, right? So way back when in the '90s, when I got really fixated on the Pareto principle. So Vilfredo Pareto, among many other things, said 80% of the tomatoes come from 20% of the vines. Mm. So if you prune and it, it activates a level of productivity, and this is where the art and science kicks in to relationship management. And I look at it now, 
pick on the pick up on the Japanese theme of it's like the the pruning of a bonsai tree. Like it, it, it requires so much attention and finesse and skill, but it creates this beautiful product. Not unlike, you know, we're both in, in sort of wine country, vineyards, mm-hmm. pruning, just giving it the prompt to go a little deeper. And that's another thing that you've done, this, this concept of pruning in the client's best interest and in your own. Yes. And I, I would uh, add a further dimension to that pruning. Um, So I'm not going to say it because uh, I'm not going to say fully what it stands for, but we have something of what is called the PETA principle. No no pain in the, you can fill in the blank, uh, clients to deal with. So when you prune, you know, the reality is when when you start out in this business, I hate to say it, but most advisors, including myself, you take on kind of all, all clients that are willing to set up an account. But the reality is, as you go through your career and you kind of establish that, you know, I want to be very intentional as to who we're going to invest our time in, because time is precious in life, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, we want to be aligned values-wise with our clients and vice versa. So I learned a long time ago that it doesn't matter how much, you know, somebody has in capital, but if they're a pita, they're just going to suck the life out of you. And so one of the attributes of our ideal clients today is that they there's a mutual energizing, energizing state that takes place, i.e. we love spending time with our clients. We try to engage with our clients in such a way that they feel energized by the experience that they're having each time they reach out or each time we re- reach out to them. But at the end of the day, there's a mutual respect and uh, we're kind of doing life together at the end of the day. So, you know, things like uh, the last 12 years, we've been doing an annual fishing trip, for example. It's an investment conference, but we go up and and we have this wonderful experience and clients and sometimes their families come out and, and um, you know, we kind of mix people together. It's a little bit of a like a match.com, but on a fishing boat. So it's a, a tremendous amount of fun in deepening relationships creating experiences that a lot of times uh, people haven't had before out in the wilderness, away from their phones. It's a, it's a good thing. So just trying to enhance that more where we're really, we're really kind of trying to have an authentic relationship with them in a way that they sense that we're, we're working side by side. This kind of a partnership uh, approach would be the best way I would put it. And uh, it takes time to build that level of trust in depth, but you have to be really intentional in doing it. And um, so I feel very proud of my team that we've, you know, we've, you know, a team of 15 people, we're, we're very intentional about how we go about doing that. And, you know, at the end of the day, try to be very active listeners too, because when we're doing reviews with clients, when we're having conversations with clients, you know, one of my mentors also said to me many years ago that the quality of the conversation you have comes back to the quality of the, the questions asked. So one of the things we've, I think, done a pretty good job of is learning to ask some really insightful questions to clients and then sit back and really actively listen and take note of it, register it, and then follow up on kind of things that are most important to them. Well, first of all, 45 to 15, that's got to be the tightest ratio in the industry, client to team member ratio, that is. But you hit on a really key point about culture and the whole PETA. I know it doesn't make for a good acronym, but pain in the name your body part. But yeah, we all get it. It's all about fit. And it is very revealing when you're in a bear market just in terms of the wiring and the alignment of interest. But culturally, if your team knows that it's unacceptable to align with a client who's just philosophically disconnected about their worldview and what a collaborative relationship with a financial professional and a team is all about. And I mean, there are some people who use, you know, especially, uh, people deeper into the bench as a lightning rod for their frustrations in life. And when you 
have rules of engagement for your team that says, no, that's just unacceptable. We won't do that. The income from a client is not going to supersede the chemistry and culture that we have as a team. There's a deeper sense of belonging for the client and for the team member. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about your evolution and uh, Chris Jepson and I had a really interesting conversation about this long, not long ago. You, you might remember he co-wrote a couple of books with me, he heads up practice management for first trust in the U S we talked about this, <clears throat> another Japanese concept called Kintsugi, which is the art of repairing pottery. And you've seen it. There's actually in Vancouver, there's a world renowned Kintsugi artist. Mm. So, and I, I actually got my wife a mug that was repaired in the Kintsugi art form. So basically what they do is they repair pottery with gold. And the finished product is actually more valuable than the original, even though it was damaged. And uh, it's very fascinating. So I use that as a metaphor because there's, there's a risk, of course, there's a bigger risk to inaction, but there's a risk to action and evolution and unintended consequences. But when, when approached properly, the outcome can be so incredibly profound. And what's interesting about the evolution is the client facing dynamic. So it's all, and I know you're, this is how you're wired. It's all positioned as a benefit to the client. So it's, it's not like a, it's not an admission to the client that's saying, you know, I've been doing it wrong all these years and now we're going to do the etch-a-sketch and start over. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's position to the client is our client's needs are evolving and becoming more complex. And rather than being all things to all people, we're going to be all things to some people so we can go deeper. And then as part of that depth is creating that community where you know, you do that uh, client event. And I've got an open standing invitation for that, right? You do. Fishing as, trip? As, a, as an elite uh, advisor coach trying to sponge off for you, Duncan, <laughs> try to get as much as I can, you bet you have a, a complimentary spot to that trip each year. Okay, well, the sponging is a two-way street, but I do want to go to that because uh, I want to see firsthand because it's quite legendary. Uh, the stories I've heard about that. But, you know, you, you made a point in the beginning about just dwelling on last month's statement or focusing directionally on where the relationship is going. Am I in good hands? Do you provide me as a client with that liberation and order? So I can just go out and live my life. I know you've got this. And um, it also dramatically impacts how a client not only feels about their belonging to your community, but how they articulate that to someone else. Because, because of your approach to professional scarcity, I know your clients protect you from introducing the wrong people to you. They are probably very picky. And they when they describe you, they probably say things like this, like, you've got to talk to Thane and his team the client experience is unrivaled. He probably won't accept you as a client, <laughs> but you should talk to him anyway. Like there are your clients as advocates are already creating the predisposition. So they going in the prospective client doesn't view it as a sales encounter where they're braced for you to try to convince them to become a client. In fact, it's probably going the other way where they're going in and they plan on sitting up straight and, and being as, you know, in their best behavior. And I'm going to try to convince Thane to accept me as a client. There's probably a dynamic of that in your energy. I, I've actually seen that. Uh, and we're very blessed to be introduced to a lot of people. We probably talk to 150 introductions uh, to people a year, actually. And we, our practice, the way it's designed is set up to take on basically eight new relationships a year. So we're very purposeful about how we do that. So by natural ratios or numbers, you know, the reality is you talk to 150 people, you get to know them each year. 
Um, and there's really eight that get kind of mutually, you know, mutually together, we decide to engage, but it's not a, it's a conversation. And no, what's also interesting, I'll give you an example. I spoke to a fellow last night, or not last night, last week that was introduced to us. And um, it was a second conversation. And he, he was kind of sitting up straight. It was quite a, quite an interesting thing. And he, he'd been introduced from a good client and it, just a prince of a man, like very good human being. You could just tell. Uh, and I had a couple people on my team that are also on the call with me. And it was, it was intriguing because he came prepared. So, you know, even so in, in our line of work, in our business model, we generally have investment accounts for households of about 10 million and 25 million plus net worth type clients. So this fellow was just under that, but he came prepared. It was quite, it was quite intriguing. He said, well, you know, I've, I've got uh, eight. A million and um but i've already talked to my family extended family so they're they're already willing to come on and join with us to kind of make it a household that's above your minimum so you know so it was it was a cute interesting conversation very successful family but uh humble but it's interesting when i go into those conversations which we're again very blessed to have uh frequently I don't preclude, you know, that this is a, just a pure vetting type process. I, I, I look at it from a perspective of how can I help? How, whoever is on the other Zoom call, typically, how can I help them whether or not we engage with them or not? So one of the attributes I've adopted is to try to create two or three value add points in those discussions for the other party every time irrespective of whether or not they become a client. So it's kind of like, you know, karma or giving giving back. And, you know, if it if it leads to a, you know, a business relationship and a relationship working together, great. But it, it's kind of the approach of trying to give first and then see where it kind of goes. And I can tell you, my friend, that that works very well. And a lot of times, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've had people come back years later saying, you know, we didn't engage right away, but you gave me some helpful tips on certain things. We went out and did it. We did what you suggested. It worked out well. So we're back. <laughs> and I said, well, okay. So, you know, at the end of the day, life is short. You want to try to work with people that there's a mutual positive energy between the two of you. There has to be a mutual respect and and kind of a partnership mentality. And uh, with that, it doesn't feel like work. You know, from our team, team perspective, it's kind of like, hey, we're here to help these collection of families accomplish what their lifelong goals are. So it's, uh, it's, quite, re it's quite rewarding, even in a bear market, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, great, great points. And it's interesting, the alignment and there's so many layers to what alignment of interest means, but all of your clients strive to not just attain, but maintain their wealth, but not just for the number, for what it does, not just what it is, what it does. It means you can do things because you want to, not because you have to. Like you don't have to do what you do. You get to do it. And there's a real humility to that. But that point about cause and effect, like meeting with a friend or a family member of a client with no expectation of an outcome, aside from I'm putting you in possession of information that is specifically suited for your situation, what we do with it, what you do with it. It's interesting thing. Uh, back in the day when the industry was going through transactional to directional and advisory and I was talking, I said, it's not a sales encounter. It's a fit process. And I was hammering on it at this conference in uh, Monterey. One of my clients was in the front row. He stood up while I was speaking, faced the crowd and said, he's right. This works. And wow. I said, well, yeah, thanks, Mike. But it works because it's right. 
it's the right way to do it because it's not a transaction. You're focusing on a lifelong relationship that could potentially be intergenerational, like second, third generation clients up and down the family tree. How you start the relationship, it's like curb appeal, first impressions, and then onwards. And how how you start the relationship impacts how you're perceived and described for the life of that relationship as well. Which brings me to two other points. I had a conversation last week. We were talking about coaching. I This other advisor, very substantial. And we were talking about how, you know, that old saying, the people who like, like it the most need it the least, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to coaching. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, but I, the point I was trying to make or remind the advisors, I said, remember, it's not just the coach that coaches you, your clients coach you as well. So always make them the voice. The long story short, I had told this advisor years ago to reach out to your clients to tell them that you've engaged with a consultant in the pursuit of elevating the client experience. And it occurred to us that the most important part of this exercise is to make our clients the voice we listen to. So can I just ask you three quick questions? And the questions were, number one, what's the one thing you value most about our relationship? Here are the mirror your value back on you, number one. Number two, What's the one thing we could add to the client experience you feel we're not currently providing? And number three, how do you describe us? Those three questions are so incredibly revealing about how a client perceives and describes you. And there's layers of complexity to that. My point is, I said to the advisor, you don't just check that box and be done with it because you did it four years ago. You should do this every three years in the pursuit of Kanai, Kaizen, constantly raising the bar and elevating. Hmm. So I'm curious if you have, and I know I already know the answer. You you read the room, you talk to your clients, and you're crystal clear about their sense of belonging, but also how they internalize and socialize your value. I just wanted your perspective on that. Well, I think it's super important. And I think, you know, early on in my career, I was... uh kind of like what you described earlier, you know, gathering assets, right? More transactional. And we all evolve. And I think what I've come to in the last uh, you know, couple of decades is more, if you focus on the relationship, you really are proactive, your clients will take care of yourself and they will take care of your team. The way they do that is by introducing you to other key people that are in their world, in their network, and then their sphere. So it goes from quantity to quality and transactional to relational. So I think those three questions, Duncan, are exceptionally good questions. We we do use them thanks to your guidance in the past. And it's it's interesting because the answers to those questions from the clients also evolve over time. True. We've had scenarios where clients, uh, we've helped clients sell a business and optimize value from that sale of the business. And then, you know, three, four years later, we're in a situation where they, they have different challenges in front of them. So, their answers do also change, but you know I have to say I've met a lot of advisor performance coaches in, you know in the industry in the United States uh, when I was with Morgan Stanley down there and then here in Canada I'm, I'm Canadian I'm originally from Vancouver uh, spent four years down in the U.S. Um, California and then back more recently and. You know, so I got to meet a number of coaches, and you're in a you're in a very unique place, Duncan, because you know the coaching assignments, and I know you do this yourself. You, you probably, I think, you have you know, roughly you know twenty twenty five coaching 
engagements at a time maximum. So you limit the number of relationships that you work with so that you can go deeper and add more value to them. But my sense of you, my observation of you is that you have provided some incredible insights and really truly value add to to your coaching clients over time and and in you know and therefore those teams and those advisors have added tremendous value to their clients over time so you know it's uh, so different than sports i, I played uh, semi-pro hockey ncaa hockey and you know uh, coach is instrumental right it's just making sure that there's accountability that there is learning uh, one of the things that um, I, I know that you also do is you help coach teams, not just the advisors. And that's incredibly helpful to kind of mentor up the next generation. But you're you're in a very unique spot to see kind of what works and what or what is working and what is not working in our industry today. And, you know, every single interaction that I find with you is, you're constantly coming up with a little different twist to the orange or the lemon. Like you've got a little bit of a different idea each time and um, incredibly valuable insights. So, um, you know, for, for on, on behalf of clients that you, you engage with, um, I'm sure they're extremely thankful, Duncan. So keep up the good work, by the way. And that was not a paid infomercial for this listening today. A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life, and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Well, okay, so high praise. I appreciate that a lot and right back at you and what's interesting it is crowdsourced and it's not just the process it's the philosophy and so my my good fortune is i get to play at a pretty high level and i do listen and my my clients are very very accomplished but also very, very generous in terms of sharing. There's, there's no, there's an abundance mindset in their pursuit of professional scarcity, yeah. which is uh, somewhat counterintuitive. Uh, I do want to acknowledge something. What's interesting about what we've managed to attract. You talk about how everybody evolves. You think about the adoption curve, early adopters laggard. Some people evolve because they have to, and they're conspicuous in the delay. Those early adopters that that reach and, uh, and shape, and they're not set in their ways, locked in the status quo, those people I have immense respect for because they are giving back to the community. It's like People get to sit back and watch people like you and go, okay, well, if it's good enough for Thane, it's good enough for me. He's done the due diligence on evolving and becoming this advisor of the future. So there's a giving back uh, to the community that is uh, quite profound. And so, again, as long as I've known you, you've always been 
the early adopter. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're paying attention. And I, I know you're a fan of, you consume a lot of information. You're a fan, as I am, of Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins. Is there anything specifically that came out of that book that really hit home for you? It's been a, it's been a few months since I, I read it a few times now. Um, and just to let it absorb to another level. Yeah. I think it really kind of comes back to not being complacent. You know, you're getting to a certain level of success. And for those listeners today, particularly the advisors, you know, it's one thing to kind of get to a certain level, but to stay there and to build a further foundation for your next level of your career. I'm a big believer that unless you're growing, you're dying at the end of the day. You're in, in our business, status quo is not is not good enough. It, it's something that, uh, and you and I both have, you know, know lots of people that kind of get to a certain place where they're just, you know, they're not growing. They're, 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 uh, they're standing still. And in essence, I would say they're going backwards uh, in that type of situation. So I think to that particular book, good to great, you know, it's a, it's a good reminder to kind of keep, if you're going to do something, do it well at the end of the day, like do it exceptionally well. You know, I was the oldest of six kids in a family growing up. My parents, you know, instilled in me certain work ethic and certain values and, you know, when you're the oldest and, and uh, you, know, you play competitive sports, you don't want to half-bake things. You want to do things uh, with some vigor, and that means you're going to make mistakes. It, it, it comes hand in hand. Uh, the best, uh, you know, best hockey players or sports athletes globally are people that practice a tremendous amount, have learned a tremendous amount, have made a ton of mistakes. But in the same token... I've learned from them. And so, you know, my, my perspective here would be to say, so what I'm trying to do at this point in my career is with my team is now investing more time, more coaching into them, more mentoring into them. And I know our, our clients are going to benefit from that. So ultimately that's the goal. Well, there's, there's something unwritten around leadership, whether it's as siblings, clients, team members, that mentor-protege dynamic always exists. And, you know, whether it's a great athlete who is paying tribute to those that lit the path for them mm-hmm. and, and then lighting the path for those who are up and coming, it's, it's, it's unwritten, but it's a, it's a tremendous honor and responsibility to get to the point where you're enlightened enough to say, that's my good fortune. And back to good to great for me, when I was looking, really understanding the hedgehog concept, what came out of that for me was not just the having my fire stoked and lit to, to aspire, but I think one of the ultimate sweet spots in life is to have immense appreciation for what we have along with the aspirations for the things we want to achieve and attract. And uh, so we're very, very lucky in that respect. I know my interactions with your team members, there's an energy that you've created there. They, it does not feel like they are fulfilling a job. They, I, I think you've created an environment where they get to move towards self-actualization themselves, which is an art form. And clients pick up on that as well because they know it's not the Thane show. Correct. Correct. Very well said. And I'm going to just share a quick little story here for, for you and the listeners that I haven't shared with you before, Duncan. And just... What you wove into your sentence uh, or your verbal language here about 30 seconds ago was around stoking the fire. So when I first started out in the industry, a little bit over 30 years ago, a friend of mine and I went, I was in Toronto for a a training program, and he he said, there's this Tony Robbins fire walk Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. This is hot coals and six-hour 
presentation. So I, you know, him and I went to that. 600 people attended. Midnight, all 600 people are walking on three rows of hot coals, about 35 feet in length. One of the scariest things I ever did. And I purposely arranged, figured out how to be first in line of one of the three lines. So why did I do that? Well, I did that because I wanted to scare myself some more. I know it sounds kind of odd, maybe, but what I didn't want to do is be 15th in line and see 14 people in front of me go ahead of me and therefore gain confidence from them to do it. I wanted to kind of push myself to say, okay, if I'm at the front of the line, it'll be the most scary part. And I got to do it. I, I'm not going to be borrowing courage from others to do it. I'm going to do it myself. So I ended up doing it. Uh, no burns, nothing like that. It was an amazing event. Ended up going back around the lineup and did it a second time just to, you know, just to make sure I, I got enough uh, juice out of the orange, so to speak. <laughs> but that perspective of getting yourself outside of your comfort zone, just continuing to push, continuing to innovate, continuing to try to be the, the best that you can. And again, in a professional context, this is a, you know we're here to serve clients. And if they get a sense that you make mistakes along the way, everybody makes mistakes along the way. When you're managing money, not everything's going to be a win. Fortunately, we've had way more wins than losses over the years, which is uh, I'm very, very thankful for. But at the same token, you got to keep trying. You got to keep, keep trying to hone your craft and instilling that in your team of other professionals in your group. And and clients, you know, you mentioned earlier, clients do notice it. It's it's something where they're kind of like, wow, you know, I think they what they appreciate is they they don't get a sense that you're just going to plateau for them because their lives are going to continue to grow. So if you don't continue to grow as an advisor, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing at the where we are in the wealth curve ourselves, the types of clients we're dealing with. I find that a lot of people currently are kind of reassessing their current relationship with their advisors. Mm -hmm. All this phrase, uh, you know, outgrowing your advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, I think is starting to come more and more to the forefront uh, these days, given the fact, you know, we're in a current bear market that, you know, may last for another, you know, year or so. So, yeah. so why does that happen? I, I think, I think people assess their existing relationships just to see whether or not they're kind of keeping up to them or, or leading them or, or trying to stay at the forefront on their behalf. So, so think of it's a really powerful thing to tap into and not easy. It requires a lot of work, like a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality, and it's not the easy path. Well, it's, it's, it's revealing both ways because what it reveals to the client, if they at, at their core have a relationship with an advisor who is semi-transactional, uh, they tend to hide. The communication dries up and, uh, is very revealing. And that's what prompts that sort of sense that, you know, maybe it's time to consider my options. But back to your point about um, being first in line. You know, it's funny, over the weekend, we had something kind of bizarre happen with our family. And uh, I know I, I saw my one son really looking at me in terms of how I'd react. And, uh, you know, that we all talk about, well, you turn lemons into lemonade. Mm -hmm. But kids, kids watch and imitate more than they listen. Like they're, they're looking at how you conduct yourself. What are, how, what is your code of conduct? Not just when things are rosy, but maybe when they're a little bit sketchy or noisy or turbulent. And what's interesting is it's not just kids team members, clients notice how you how you conduct yourself during various periods of turbulence or calm. It's and, and the the opportunity to really galvanize a relationship ironically is when it's uncertain. And I've said this a thousand times if I've said it once, and that is that calm seas never produce a skilled sailor. Right. I just love that. And in a financial services context, being a financial professional for, with somebody who's grown up market 
to very complex, sophisticated clients, it can't apply more than it does to that professional. Agreed. Agreed. And and your mistakes. I mean, you. you I know you personify this. You. I'm sure. If you weren't already, you view your mistakes as a form of kintsugi, right? Because the the outcome is better than the previous or the original. Yeah, which is a great place it, to be. Self assessment. It's kind of like okay, what could we have done better? What what should we be doing better? Uh, what was the blind spot? Yeah. Uh, so again, that like you said earlier, it kind of comes from a perspective of you know authentically being humble about a scenario. Say, okay, we're we're in a field that is not perfect. That now it doesn't mean you don't strive to try to be perfect in how you allocate investment dollars, how you navigate the markets. Like for example, this year, you know we're. This is early October or mid October 2022, and you know the markets are down 20 to 35 percent. It's been a tough year. In fact, it's been a tough year for the industry overall. We've been very fortunate that we're actually basically flattish to slightly positive at year to date performance. And I was saying to a client last week, I says, I don't think we've ever run or worked this hard to stay flat in in (laughs) year. You know, nine, ten months in, but uh, you know, touch wood. You know, you're you're only as good as your recent past, both experientially and you know, investment performance-wise. So, um, it's a it's a humbling experience. That I remember one time, um, you know, I, I, through my father. My father was an advisor for almost fifty years, and so he introduced me to a lot of different icons in the industry. One was Sir John Templeton, uh, mm-hmm. Templeton, very humble man. Very brilliant man, very accomplished in in the field of uh, the markets. I remember sitting down with him one time, and uh, he said, "Yep, there was uh, three times, three times that his partnership with his two other partners that they seriously contemplated winding down their three way partnership as a as a money manager. All three times they decided to stick it out. All three times happened." almost exactly within a month of the market lows globally. Wow. So it was fascinating when he said, and by the way, each time went on to bigger and bigger things and, you know, and, and, you know, soared to uh, significantly higher heights. So what I took away from that was resiliency, discipline. You got to stick to a process. You got to challenge your process and you've got to say to yourself, okay, are we going to just play the short game or are we going to play the long game? But it was interesting for even, even a deep value investor like that, somebody who'd been in the markets for over 50 years himself, for him to kind of, you know, share with me, I, I, I was, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He says, yeah, this is three times we almost wound up the partnership, almost, you know, gave back. We decided to go, well, let's just try to get back, you know, at least to a certain level and give, people their capital back <laughs> well what ended up happening is they stuck to their guns and they zoomed way past those goals and it reminds me that even the best of the best in our industry go through periods of time that are not necessarily controllable or fully controllable so it's um having that stick to itness the the persistence perseverance keeping clients kind of what i would call in the in the arc uh, in the boat uh, as you go through this is an art form in you know behavioral finance. Uh, you're kind of like a behavioral coach in that sense. Well, this last couple of years has just manufactured the necessity for the bedside manner, right? Being the life coach, the therapist, and but you know what's interesting, and it comes right back full circle to what you're saying in the beginning is that all roads, I mean, true north is what's in the client's best interest and. If that's how you're wired, it helps you see past short-term periods of volatility. And I'll I'll share with you this as uh, we wind down, always making about the client. So you know how some businesses, they'll say, thanks for your business, which is basically saying, you know, you did me a favor for doing business with me. There's a little produce shop in my town here. You walk in there, everything's shiny, beautiful. 
Like the apples are displayed like Fabergé eggs. It's quite impressive. Their slogan on their door is, you don't have to dig for the good stuff here. It's all good stuff. <laughs> so, so that is, it's all about you. Your, your choice to do business here, yeah, we appreciate that, but I'm going to make it about you. It, it's such a big distinction and so revealing philosophically about how business professionals are wired. And for those of you who've been following us for a long time, you know that even when it comes to advocacy, we say, don't pitch the idea of a referral as a favor you're asking of someone. Position the concept of an introduction as a service you're providing for someone. I'll be a sounding board for anybody who is important to you. If you're speaking to somebody who's concerned uh, about where things are going and they want a sounding board, I'd be more than happy to speak with them. They don't need to become a client. If they're important to you, they're important to me. The positioning and not just what you say, but what they hear, how they interpret it speaks volumes and ultimately leads to great outcomes as well, more often than not. But Thane, terrific conversation with clearly a very enlightened professional in our space. I'm sure we're going to do this again. And for everybody listening in, one of the best ways to get to know Thane better is to tune in to his podcast on BNN Bloomberg. Uh, and just take that and run with the Thane. Talk about your podcast for a second. Absolutely. So it's a monthly podcast. I started about a year ago, in fact, almost exactly a year ago. And uh, uh, recently I happened to interview Duncan and uh, that podcast is coming out here at the end of October. So listen in uh, to that one. It's uh, BNM Bloomberg Smart Wealth Podcast on iHeartRadio or, you know, Spotify or wh wherever you kind of download podcasts. But the whole uh, impetus behind that is I just wanted to kind of interview people that were true pioneers and extremely successful at their craft, whether it's entrepreneurs, uh, money managers, you name it. In this particular case, you know, elite uh, coaching advisor on insights of what they've learned in their, in their careers so far. And it's been, uh, it's been a real blessing to be able to do this because most of these people I know quite well and, and, somehow uh, get them to open up and uh, share in unique ways. So, yes, please do listen. Uh, I think we're over 100,000 listeners now. And, um, you know, again, it comes out monthly and it's, it's a lot of fun to do. So thanks, uh, Duncan, for allowing me to shamelessly uh, promote that one. Well, what I love about it is it gives the advisor some incentive to just reimagine how they conduct themselves but also gives the client community an opportunity to really give some thought to how good the fit is with their advisor and what they should be looking for and th their expectations. So it gives to both addressable audiences, which I love. But uh, Thane, uh, also on LinkedIn, uh, look for Thane Stenner uh, with Stenner Wealth Partners. I uh, love the slogan, by the way, because, again, it's driven by your success, the client-centered mantra and philosophy. So we'll see you in Vancouver next time I'm there. But uh, thanks very much for your time. You're very generous and gracious, as always. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit proudmouth.com to learn more.